It's 6pm, and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, March 28th. This is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight on the California Report, healthcare workers navigating student debt are holding their breath. They're waiting to see how a new bill, which would help rid frontline healthcare workers of student loans, will be received. Then, the Catholic Church played a large role in running Indian residential schools in Canada for more than a century. Today's National Native News follows Indigenous delegates traveling to the Vatican in hopes of a papal apology. We'll take a look at local news and weather before Chaplain Norris Burks closes tonight's newscast with a commentary. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Tens of thousands of supermarket workers in Southern and Central California have voted by an overwhelming margin to greenlight a strike if supermarket chains don't meet their wage demands. The workers are employed by Vons, Ralphs, Albertsons, and Pavilions. A three-year contract covering 45,000 supermarket workers expired earlier this month. The United Food and Commercial Workers Union, which represents the workers, accuses the companies of intimidating their employees and offering paltry wage increases to a workforce that kept showing up for work during the worst months of the pandemic. In San Diego, Vaughn's employee Devin Hennigan spoke to partner station KPBS. It's finally time to get what we deserve, and I know we've earned this. We've earned a livable wage, and that's not what they're proposing. And that's why we're here. We're not going to stand for that. The union wants veteran supermarket workers to get a $5 an hour increase in pay over a three-year contract period. The companies are countering with a $1.80 raise. The next bargaining session is scheduled for this Wednesday. Despite bargaining this weekend, there's no new deal as a teacher strike continues in Sacramento School District. That means campuses will remain closed today. And as CAP Radio's Pauline Bartoloni reports, that's taking a toll on families. About two-thirds of students at Sac City Unified rely on free or low-cost meals they get at school. So the district set up nine sites to give away breakfast and lunch during the strike. Deidre Amaro lined up at the Clayton Wire Elementary School location. She says in addition to taking care of her elderly parents, she watched her five grandkids last week while their parents were at work. The kids are missing the school, missing going to class, missing their friends, you know, um... There's only so much they could do at home. Other parents say they've had to rejig their work schedules, take time off, or miss wages entirely. Alicia Narayan has five kids. She's particularly worried about her 11th grader missing more instruction after two years of disrupted learning during the pandemic. It's been very hard for him to go to school, for him to learn, for him to have anything. So it's kind of hard to put him out in this world not knowing if he's ready or not. Nutrition workers at the district say they gave out thousands of meals to kids last week, and they plan to continue for the duration of the strike. For the California Report, I'm Pauline Bartoloni in Sacramento. Student debt. It's a crushing financial burden for millions of people, including healthcare professionals who've worked hard treating COVID patients during the pandemic. Now, U.S. Senator Alex Padilla of California has introduced a bill to help get rid of student loans for frontline healthcare workers. But the legislation's prospects in Congress are unclear. KQED's Farida Jovalo Romero reports. 
The bill would forgive or repay in full student debt for those who provide COVID-related health care services, including medical residents, home health care workers, and lab workers doing testing. Dr. Janet Kaufman at the UCSF Health Force Center says that would mean hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, could be eligible for the relief. The average debt for recent medical school graduates is more than $200,000. And so, she says... It makes sense to make it more targeted to those health professionals on the front lines in the hardest-hit communities because the health professionals in those communities, you know, had the greatest exposure to COVID itself and had the greatest stress associated with caring for people. She means people like physician assistant Musli Jahate. She walked me through the lifelong Brookside Health Center in San Pablo, which serves mostly low-income patients. The Bay Area City has the highest COVID-19 case rate in Contra Costa County. So um, a lot of medical patients? A lot of medical patients, or not insured at all. Not insured at all. Recently immigrated, no documentation, but need health care. Jahate is an immigrant from Senegal. She grew up in Oakland and is now a naturalized U.S. citizen. Since the pandemic started, she's been here, seeing and treating patients with COVID. That's even though community clinics like Lifelong pay less than private practice. We went into medicine to help people, and a pandemic is a scary situation. But it's like we have to step up. We have to step up. She also had to step up at home. She had to take a second job testing for COVID to make ends meet and support her aging parents. Because my parents, um, since COVID, they, both of them let go of their jobs. They didn't feel safe. The U.S. Department of Education suspended federal loan payments and set a 0% interest rate during the pandemic. But that break is set to end in May. And Jahate worries about paying the $74,000 in student loans she owes. So, she says, she'd like to see something like the Padilla Bell pass. I will be forever grateful because that, that will be a burden taken off my shoulders and I can use whatever extra amount I can generate to further financially stabilize my family. There are a couple of programs that cover a portion of the loans for physicians and other health professionals, if they work with underserved populations. But the Padilla proposal would completely clear their student debt, if it passes. A similar bill introduced last spring in the democratically controlled House of Representatives hasn't advanced. Sources in Washington say Democrats have been busy with bigger pandemic priorities, but also efforts are being made to strengthen existing loan forgiveness programs. Senator Padilla's office says he'll throw his weight behind the congressional effort in the coming months. Dr. Sergio Aguilar Gaxiola, vice chair of Latinx Physicians of California, says there is urgency for some kind of solution for healthcare workers sooner rather than later. There has, has been an increase in suicides, for example. And there has certainly has been an increase in anxiety and mood disorders and even substance abuse. They have been working so much under such difficult circumstances. He says we need to do more to support healthcare workers, especially with new COVID variants spreading in China and Europe and now in the U.S. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. 
StanfordBloodCenter.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for Monday, March 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Tonight in National Native News, the Catholic Church played a large role in running Indian residential schools in Canada for over a century. Now, 32 Indigenous delegates make their way to the Vatican in hopes of a papal apology. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A Canadian Indigenous delegation has arrived in Rome in advance of what's seen as a key meeting with Pope Francis. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, they're hoping for an apology from the Catholic Church for its role in running Indian residential schools. About 170 people are taking part in the journey to the Vatican, including 32 Indigenous delegates representing First Nations, Inuit and Métis people. All of them have demands or stories to tell about the abuses at residential schools. From the late 1800s to the late 1900s, the government-funded schools were operated across Canada by churches, including the Roman Catholic Church. Native leaders in Canada want a papal apology for the abuses at the schools. They also want church records. Perry Belgard is the former national chief of the Assembly of First Nations. You know, there were 130 residential schools in Canada, and the Roman Catholic Church was the church that administered most of those, those residential schools here. So they have a moral obligation and a moral duty to do all they can, yes, to apologize, but as well provide access to those records that'll help identify some of those, those children that have been lost or that were killed, you know, in the grave sites that have been found. So they have an obligation, no matter how difficult it is, to make it easy for people to have access to those records. Métis and Inuit delegates will sit down with the Pope on Monday, First Nations representatives on Thursday, then all three will gather with the Pope on Friday in an event that will be live-streamed by the Vatican. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Great Sioux Nation issued a notice of trespass to the Grand Gateway Hotel in Rapid City, South Dakota, over the weekend. The action comes a week after a hotel owner called for a ban on Native American guests. Connie Urey made the statements in a Facebook post and email following a shooting at the hotel on March 19th. Her statements and the hotel quickly gained attention. Tribal leaders say racism and discrimination against Native people by businesses in Rapid City will not be tolerated. Tribal leaders met Saturday to discuss the trespass notice, the treatment of Native people in the city, and what next steps to take. After the meeting, a march was held to the hotel where the notice was taped to a door. It states the Great Sioux Nation has made an investigation and evidence shows trespass, which includes a violation of provisions in the Treaty of 1868. The document is signed by leaders of the Crow Creek, Oglala Lakota, Rosebud, Cheyenne River, and Standing Rock Sioux tribes. Last week, the hotel's manager, who's Yuri's son, told South Dakota Public Broadcasting he's against the statements and that the hotel will continue to accept Native American guests. But the Native organization, Indian Collective, and two individuals say otherwise and have filed a federal civil lawsuit. They claim they were turned away when they tried to rent rooms at the hotel. The Confederate Salish and Kootenai tribes of northwest Montana have now assumed full control of the National Bison Range on the Flathead Indian Reservation. Aaron Bolton has more. The National Bison Range, which was once a part of the reservation, was restored to the CSKT as part of a federal bill passed in 2020 to settle the tribe's water claims. 
That bill was officially enacted in December, setting off the transitionary period for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to hand over management responsibilities of the bison range to the tribes. In an announcement, the tribe said that transition is now complete. Tribal Council Chairman Tom McDonald says that means the tribes are now reunified with the bison on the range. The tribes say members started the herd in the 1800s to conserve the bison at a time when they were nearing extinction. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Native American Disability Law Center. Just a call away at 800-862-7271. A not-for-profit 501c3. Providing support for your civil rights. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Today's discussion over extending eviction protections comes as the clock winds down on the application deadline. Suzanne Potter with California News Service has more. A bill to extend some eviction protections for another three months through July 1st is set to be heard in the state assembly today. The move comes as time is running out for people to apply to the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, which stops accepting applications on Thursday. Housing attorney Tina Rosales with the Western Center on Law and Poverty says people who lost their income as a result of the pandemic should apply now on housing.ca.gov. The program will pay 100% of back rent and rent going forward for a total of 18 months. Landlords and tenants both can apply. The eviction protections are designed to stave off a wave of homelessness because approximately 366,000 people are waiting for their applications to be processed. According to the state Housing is Key website, the program has paid out more than $2.4 billion so far, an average of $11,000 per household. Rosales says many people whose primary language is not English have had a tough time filing a case, but the kinks are mostly worked out now. There were some technical glitches and problems with the application. So Spanish and Chinese-speaking tenants were unable to apply to the program, and now they only have a few days to apply. People can apply regardless of their immigration status. The application requires proof of income and proof that the household income does not exceed 80 percent of the median for that area. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. Nevada County Public Health reports 13 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. One person is hospitalized. None are in the ICU. The Sacramento Bee reports two Chico State University police officers have been placed on leave. Both are former Oroville Police Department officers who've been named in a federal civil rights lawsuit that alleges sexual harassment and sex on duty by other members of the department. Former Oroville Police Chief Joe Deal was accused in the lawsuit of having sex on duty. 
ignoring criminal acts by others in the department, and of pressuring officers to use his wife as their realtor. Chico State Officer Ray Stott, who had worked at the university since January, also was placed on leave while the school gathers information pertaining to the lawsuit. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of fired officer Robert Rader. Rader's lawsuit outlines allegations that officers had sex on duty with their girlfriends, something considered a rite of passage. The suit also alleges that Ray Stott, one of the officers who went on to work at Chico State, harassed a female officer. Rader alleges in the lawsuit that he was driven from his job after volunteering information about sexual harassment and misconduct in internal affairs probes and with the Butte County District Attorney, Mike Ramsey. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly cloudy, gradually becoming clear with a low around 39. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 62. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, rain and snow showers likely before 8 p.m. Thunder is also possible. Mostly cloudy with a low around 28. Tuesday, mostly cloudy, gradually becoming sunny as the day wears on, with a high near 52. The National Weather Service's winter weather advisory remains in effect until 8 p.m. this evening. Those in the greater Lake Tahoe area and Mono County should prepare for 5 to 10 inches of heavy, wet snow above 7,000 feet. Those below 7,000 feet should expect wet roads and a mix of rain and snow with up to 4 inches on unpaved and elevated surfaces. Sierra Ridge winds may gust near 80 miles per hour. There's also a chance of thunderstorms. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, increasing clouds with a low around 47. Tuesday, mostly cloudy, gradually becoming sunny with a high near 72. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. We close with a commentary by military and healthcare chaplain Norris Burks. As chaplain, Burke served with both active duty Air Force and the Air National Guard in posts as diverse as Turkey, Iraq, and Panama until his retirement in 2014. I'm hoping today that we have a listener that is looking for a job, specifically a hospice chaplain position. I'm currently holding the title, but I'm eager for my employer to hire my replacement so I can retire. Again, the right candidate must be approachable and caring. Unlike the man I interviewed some years ago... This guy arrived to the interview wearing a suit and became offended when I told him our hospice chaplains usually leave their clergy trappings at home. Why, he asked. Well, that level of dress can be a bit overstated when you sit with dying people. The job has to be about what the patient needs, not about your pastoral appearance. I've never had an employer disapprove of my neckties, he answered. I understood his protest because we shared similar backgrounds. I, too, had once pastored a conservative congregation where the business suit was the uniform of the day. My padre dress became a problem in 1992 during my first days as a chaplain intern at UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento. The training quickly intensified as I found myself sucked into the trauma and drama of the emergency department. One day, an ER nurse approached me in the hallway. I think we have a man in room three who could really use a chaplain, she said. Hmm, did I detect some sarcasm in her request? Surely not, I thought as I scurried off to see the patient. Hopefully the wisdom imparted from a well-dressed chaplain would bring a healing effect. As I approached the room, I stopped an orderly and asked, What is that revulsive odor? Maggots. Lots of them, he said. 
My expression told him I suspected a prank, so he offered me more information. Our patient is a homeless man who arrived with an infected leg laceration. He spent the last several nights sleeping on the ground, so maggots entered the infected wound. I cringed. Maggots probably saved his life, he said cheerfully. How's that? Well, maggots eat dead skin, and they likely kept the infection from moving up his leg. I shot the orderly a repulsed look as I entered the patient's room. The odor was intense and unforgettable. I looked the man over head to toe. The shriveled lump of human was malnourished and covered with overgrown matted red hair. He was cooked brown from the neck up. I stared at the poor man's gnarled toenails and fingernails, noticing particularly the scratches that whipped around his body. The patient returned my gaze. It was hard for him not to see my crumpled expression. But more than that, he saw the trappings of privileged. From my tasseled loafers to my pinstripe suit and my dark blue tie, my silver-plated wristwatch, my Bible, my overstated college ring, proclaimed our oversized differences. I'm Chaplain Burks, I said. <laughs> no first names, I guess, when you're trying to keep that pastoral distance. The hell you say, he continued with expletive-laced directions that suggested I turn around and I walk toward my fiery eternal destination. I'm ashamed to admit I was glad to go anywhere rather than remain in that room. Anywhere, that is, except into the path of the smirking nurse who sent me there. She offered her counsel to the newbie chaplain intern. You might want to lose that suit, she said. Why, I asked. I'm guessing that our patient considered your suit as repulsive as you found his maggot-infested leg. Eventually, her mentorship taught me to shed the trappings of Sunday-go-to-meeting clothes and don the more approachable short sleeves and dockers. Sadly, my neckties took a little longer to die. In the meantime, my employer is still looking for a full-time chaplain. Their requirements are posted on Indeed.com. Search for chaplain in Grass Valley and you'll find us. Just remember, ties need not apply. This is Chaplain Norris Burks. I hope you'll read more of my commentary on my website, thechaplain.net. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for this Monday, March 28th. Visit us online at kvmr.org for anything you may have missed in tonight's newscast. KVMR gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties and San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com. And from SBL Entertainment, Presenting Midnight North, Thursday, March 31st at the Sophia Theater in Sacramento. Information at sblentertainment.com. Keep it tuned to your community radio station. At 6.30, we have the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. On today's program, Women's Representation in Governing Bodies. The Interparliamentary Union tracks national statistics for 193 countries. In 2021, it said progress closing the gap between men and women filling governmental roles had essentially stagnated. Tonight, why ensuring governing bodies are representative is such a formidable task. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. 
Thanks for listening to the news this evening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.